You know, it's really striking to me as I'm doing this because I'm not timing this or planning this at all. I'm really just picking up where I left off and seeing what happens. I'm learning right alongside of you. And what's stunning to me is how much the piece I read from the Old Testament ties in to the piece I read from the New Testament. So today, we read that it's David's, it's the end of time for David. He's literally dying, Solomon takes over. We flip over to the New Testament, and then here comes Jesus talking about the end of the age. So I hope that you pay attention to that as you listen and go through this. And also, there's a lot of material in this section. So I hope that once you're done listening, you'll go back in and read it for yourself because there's a lot in here that I'm not going to talk about because I think it's more up to you to listen to what God has to tell you about it. So I pray that God will open to your open your heart and you'll listen to him and see what happens. This is going to be the end of David's story. These are going to be his last instructions to Solomon, his last words, especially about God, and then a quick summary of his reign. And this is going to span three books. The first is a section out of 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1 through 12. This is David's final instructions to Solomon. As the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. I am going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise he made to me. He told me, If your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. And there is something else. You know that Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me, or you know what Joab, son of Zeruiah, did to me when he murdered my two army commanders, Abner, son of Ner, and Amasa, son of Jether. He pretended that it was an act of war, but it was done in a time of peace, staining his belt and sandals with innocent blood. Do with him what you think best, but don't let him grow old and go to his grave in peace. So be kind to the sons of Barzillai of Gilead. Make them permanent guests at your table, for they took care of me when I fled from your brother Absalom. And remember Shimei, son of Gera, the man from Baharim in Benjamin. He cursed me with a terrible curse as I was fleeing to Mahanaim. When he came down to me at the Jordan River, I swore by the Lord that I would not kill him, but that oath does not make him innocent. You are a wise man, and you will know how to arrange a bloody death for him. <laughs> so he says, I couldn't kill him, but you can, son. Verse 10, then David died and was buried with his ancestors in the city of David. 
David had reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 30 in Jerusalem. Solomon became king and sat on the throne of David his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now we're moving over to 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1 through 7. This is David's last words, and it looks like they're mostly about God's work in his life. These are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, speaks. David, the man who was raised up so high. David, the man anointed by God of Jacob. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The Spirit of the Lord speaks through me. His words are upon my tongue. The God of Israel spoke. The rock of Israel said to me, The one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is like the light of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. Is it not my family God has chosen? Yes, he has made an everlasting covenant with me. His agreement is arranged and guaranteed in every detail. He will ensure my safety and success, but the godless are like thrones to be thrown away, for they tear the hand that touches them. One must use iron tools to chop them down. They will be totally consumed by fire. And lastly, in 1 Chronicles 29, verse 26 to 30, just a few verses here. This is the summary of David's reign. So this is what is recorded about uh, King David's reign that people would read for hundreds of years. So David, son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. He reigned over Israel for 40 years, seven of them in Hebron and 33 in Jerusalem. He died at a ripe old age, having enjoyed long life, wealth, and honor. Then his son Solomon ruled in his place. All the events of King David's reign from beginning to end are written in the record of Samuel the seer, the record of Nathan the prophet, and the record of Gad the seer. These accounts include the mighty deeds of his reign and everything that happened to him and to Israel and to all the surrounding kingdoms. That's the end of David's chapters of, in uh, the Bible. Saul was the first king of Israel from 1050 to 1011 BC. Before him was the time of the judges. David was the second king from 1011 to 970-971, and Solomon reigned from 970 to 931. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 3 and 4, this might also be a last prophecy of Jesus Christ from David. There's a lot of dual prophecies about both David and Jesus or about both Solomon and Jesus, and this may be one. So in verse 3 and 4, it could just be David speaking to his son Solomon, saying the one who rules righteously, being Solomon rule righteously, and who fears the and who rules in the fear of God, is like the light of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. Or if you think about it, could this be a prophecy about Jesus Christ? The one who rules righteously, who rules in the fear of God, is like the light of morning at sunrise, like a morning without clouds, like the gleaming of the sun on new grass after rain. Either way, it's absolutely beautifully written poetry 
from David. So this ends the story of David. And what I'm going to do is go straight into picking up the story of Solomon. However, there's a lot of David's Psalms, like a lot of them. And so what I might do is read a bit of the story of Solomon and then one Psalm and then pick up in the New Testament. So I'll start that next time though. For now, we're going to move to the New Testament. Last time we read from Matthew 23, but before we move on to Matthew 24, there's a little insert here in this chronological Bible. It inserts into this part of the timeline a little snippet out of Mark and Luke about a poor widow, and it's, it's only about three, four verses. So I'm going to read that first. This is in Mark 12, verse 41 to 44. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. And that's such a beautiful short little story. All right, moving on to Matthew 24, starting in verse 1. And this also appears in Mark 13 and in, can't turn the page, and in Luke 21. But I'm only going to read Matthew's version, and I'll let you know if there's anything worth noting in the other versions. So Matthew 24, verse 1. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, so remember, he has just finished a royal verbal lashing of the Pharisees. He has just Hulk smashed them to bits with his words. And now, mic drop, he's headed out of the temple. As Jesus was leaving the temple grounds, his disciples pointed out to him the various temple buildings. But he responded, Do you see all these buildings? I tell you the truth. They will be completely demolished. Not one stone will be left on top of another. Again, here we go. Evidence that Jesus knows what's about to happen. He doesn't, he has not always existed in our human time zone. Verse 3. Later, Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him privately and said, Tell us, when will all this happen? What sign will signal your return and the end of the world? Jesus told them. Oh, here we go. Don't let anyone mislead you. For many will come in my name, claiming, I am the Messiah. They will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and threats of wars, but don't panic. Yes, these things must take place, but the end won't follow immediately. Nation will go to war against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in many parts of the world. But all this is only the first of the birth pains, with more to come. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. 
and many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about, the sacrilegious object that causes desecration standing in the holy place. Uh, footnote, also known as the abomination of desolation. Reader, pay attention. Verse 16. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must go was must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began. And it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Then if anyone tells you, look, here is the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will rise up and perform great signs and wonders so as to deceive, if possible, even God's chosen ones. See, I have warned you about this ahead of time. So if someone tells you, look, the Messiah is out in the desert, don't bother to go look. Or, look, he is hiding here. Don't believe it. For as the lightning flashes in the east and shines to the west, so it will be when the Son of Man comes. Just as the gathering of vultures shows there is a carcass nearby, so these signs indicate that the end is near. Immediately after the anguish of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give no light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And that is a prophecy from Isaiah and Joel. Verse 30. And when at last the sign that the Son of Man is coming will appear in the heavens, and there will be deep mourning among all the peoples of the earth, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, which is a prophecy from Daniel. And he will send out his angels with the mighty blast of a trumpet, and they will gather his chosen ones from all over the world, or the four winds, from the farthest ends of the earth and heaven. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that summer is near. In the same way, when you see all these things, you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from this scene. It says this generation or this age or this nation. This generation will not pass from this scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen. Not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. 
When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And that's the end of that. So I am not an eschatologist, and this is not going to turn into an eschatological study, if I even said that right. However, I do know the end of days is mentioned in many books of the Bible, uh, the Gospels, Daniel, Revelation, some of the prophets like Isaiah and Joel. So I'm not going to get into interpreting any of this. I'm just going to leave that to you. But I do have a note in my footnote here about the temple I thought was kind of interesting. In the first verse of Matthew 24, it says Jesus was leaving the temple. And then he went on to the Mount of Olives. And what my footnote here says about this temple, it says, although no one knows exactly what this temple looked like, it must have been beautiful. So Herod had helped to beautify it. And it says next to the inner temple, there were sacred objects, sacrifices were offered, there was a court, and outside the courts were porches, Solomon's colonnade was over 1,500 feet long, with 160 columns stretching 921 feet down its length. Gazing at this glorious and massive structure, the disciples found Jesus' words about its destruction difficult to believe, but the temple was indeed destroyed only 40 years later when the Romans sacked Jerusalem in A.D. 70. I love that my Bible uses the word sacked. I think that's hilarious. So what we do know about the end of days just from reading this passage is that Jesus says, a lot of false prophets and people claiming or pe to be the Messiah or hearing people claiming that someone is the Messiah is going to happen as well as wars and a lot of sin 
But he says, all of these things are going to happen, but that doesn't mean the Messiah is coming. Nobody knows when the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, you're going to know because the entire sky is going to light up. So that's what he says here. And that's where I'm going to leave it because I really encourage you to go back and read this section again on your own with a pen in hand and highlight things that you think are interesting and just to dwell on it, pray about it. Is there any of this stuff you think has already happened or going to happen? We don't exist on God's timeline. Who knows when these things are going to happen? Anyway, I'm going to end with a little prayer. Lord, thank you for your word, for the ability to read it, to pray about it, to learn about you and learn from you. And I pray that from reading this word, it will embed itself in our brains and our hearts so that the Holy Spirit can use it in times when it needs it. Because he can't pray, God, help me pass a test and never study for the test. He's not going to put in there things that you haven't bothered to put in there. So God, thank you for this scripture that allows us to put positive knowledge words, wisdom about you in, in into our life, God, that the Holy Spirit can use it in times where you've called us to do your work in this world when the kingdom of God has already come. I pray these things in your name. Amen.